The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And today, Monday evening, there's a sitting and Gil Fransel's giving a talk. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on here. Boy. Okay. So I'm going to continue the series of talks that I'm giving on the four foundations of mindfulness. It's the comes from a ancient Buddhist scripture that's called the Discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And it's the kind of the core text for the whole insight meditation movement. Most Vipassana teachers, practice lineages, trace their teachings back to this particular text. And um, the text is a way, describes ways, of developing a heightened sense of awareness, heightened capacity for awareness, so that awareness becomes available almost like a um, force or a power or a presence in our lives that is liberating, that creates a different context for being in the world. Uh, Most of the time when we're in the world, uh, ordinary life, we're quite involved with our thoughts, with our activities, with our feelings, with things that's going on. And our awareness, our attention, gets subsumed into our concerns. So much so that we don't really see ourselves paying attention. We just kind of completely involved in what we're doing. And um, when awareness or attention gets strong enough that it becomes bigger in a sense or stronger than what we're concerned with, then the power of the, uh, the, uh, the power that we have, the power of the concerns begins to diminish. People sometimes wonder why they're so attached to things, why certain things they're so uh, compelled to be involved in, to think, to do, um, certain thoughts, certain thought patterns, certain feelings, certain emotional states that seem to persist all the time, always angry, always maybe sad or depressed, always, you know, some kind of way. And it's very hard to see, uh, you know, what's going on clearly it's also sometimes very hard to extract oneself from it. And we're kind of like a little bit um, uh, imprisoned by it, caught in it, involved in it. But if we open up awareness and it gets strong, then uh, rather than being claustrophobic, we be enter into a much larger space. And an uh, analogy for this would be if you spent uh, all winter long uh, snowbound, in a high Sierra cabin, one room cabin, with all your relatives. <laughs> all the extended relatives. <laughs> um, it might be nice the first couple of hours, but you know, all winter long, you know, not being able to leave. Um, and then finally, spring comes, the snow melts, and finally you can open the door and finally you go out into the meadows and, and uh, the high sierras and the great blue sky and, you're, and it feels so good to be out in the open. Like finally feel like this, the claustrophobia is gone. It's like, ah, oh, there's space to breathe and to think and to be in a way you couldn't when you're all kind of caught up there. 
And so the sense of vast space and open space and the freedom to walk through the mountains after being claustrophobic can feel liberating in a dramatic way. A big, big sense of relief. So the same thing with the mind. If mind can get so caught up and preoccupied with what it's, what's doing, it gets claustrophobic and we get involved. And what we don't realize is that there is no cabin for the mind. Uh, we're not snowed in, um, except for you know the walls that we make through our preoccupations and our addictive ways of thinking and feeling and all that. And so when awareness becomes stronger, strong enough, then we, then we become, uh, we notice how there's a strong sense of uh, space, openness, awareness, stillness, silence, peacefulness. Some people call it all kinds of things. Strong, uh, that um, with which we can then, you know, not be so caught. And there's kind of freedom from come from that. So the four foundations of mindfulness is practices for cultivating the strong sense of awareness for the purpose of becoming free. And um, so we've been going through, the, there's a series of 13 exercises that's given. And we've now done, I guess, about nine of them. And, um, and so we have um, four more. And today we're going to do what's called the exercise on the four aggregates. And uh, it's a very, you know, people are unfamiliar with this idea, the four aggregates. would be surprised it's such, such a un, I don't know what, uh, spiritually unsexy term should be um, considered in the early in teachings of the Buddha, one of the most important kind of uh, teachings that he has. It's repeated over and over again in the texts. And the primary way in which often, one of the primary ways that enlightenment is described is having insight into these five aggregates. So, you know, it's a very important teaching, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it can get very uninteresting very quickly as I to, as try to describe it to you. So I don't know if that's going to help you pay attention to hear that or... <laughs> Or it's going to kind of discourage you and say, we might as well give up now. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> so, five aggregates are can be considered the five primary areas in our life that we experience our life, through which we experience ourselves and the world around us. So we want to have insight into these five primary areas because they're supposed to encompass every possible experience we have somehow is through the... through the avenue of one of these five groupings of phenomena. So, these five are um, what's called physical form, the physicality of our world. So we can feel our body, in the solidity of body, you can just slap my thighs and I feel the physical physicality of my body. I feel the feel and see the physicality of the floor, the platform, and you all, and all kinds of things. And so the physicality of this world is one whole grouping. Aggregate means a big grouping of things, big category of things. The second one is um, um, the affective, or subjective way in which how this feels to be, to sense and feel and experience the world around us and the world within us. And uh, so by 
how it feels, what I mean, what, what it means by the tradition, what the, what the experience, so it's one thing to have an experience, it's one thing just below the experience, how it feels for us to have it. So if, um, you know, if it's, um, you know, really cold, bitingly cold, uh, we can feel the physicality of that cold <clears throat> in our body, and it might, depending on the context, it might feel uh, very unpleasant. We might uh, then go out and stand in the sun <clears throat> and warm up, and after a while, the physicality, the affect, oh, that's pleasant, that's nice. So it's how we receive it, how we feel about the experience. And they say that every experience we have, there's, it has some kind of affective effect on us, some kind of way in which, oh, that's nice, that's not nice, that's pleasant, that's not pleasant. And, um, and there's, uh, so that's, so there's, uh, because it's such an, and that's a very, very important category in Buddhism, so that's considered its own aggregate, its own kind of grouping of things. Um, how we feel about the experience that goes on. And it's kind of a very simple how. It's not like the complicated analysis, but just, you know, almost physically how it feels, pleasant or unpleasant. The third grouping is, um, uh, it's usually translated into English as perception, but probably a better way of uh, translating is cognition or recognition. And recognition works well because the re part means again, recognizing, recognition. And that is, uh, when I see something, if I see this object here that I'm holding my hand, um, uh, you know, because I'm lived in a particular culture, a particular time in human history, I recognize it as a glass. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a time not so far away that our ancestors, your ancestors, maybe 10, 15,000 years ago only, <laughs> if you'd hand them this kind of object, they were like, they wouldn't, you know, well, what is it, you know? You know, they wouldn't, they, wouldn't have the, they wouldn't have the label glass, they wouldn't recognize it as a glass, even though for us it's completely obvious. And, um, or, you know, it's all kinds of things. I mean, imagine 10,000 years ago, your particular ancestors, at wherever they were, you gave them a smartphone. You know, oh, they say, oh, that's a smartphone. <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we don't get any signals here. <laughs> um, they wouldn't have a clue what it is. You know, they'd maybe be impressed by it, but they wouldn't have a label for it. They wouldn't recognize it as something. We go around the world recognizing things all the time. And we just think we're seeing things as they actually are, but really we're processing the sense data that comes in through our eyes and ears and everywhere and reconstructing it and based on memory, we have a label for it. We recognize it as something. And it's accurate enough, some, some of these recognitions, and some of them are not accurate. I remember once um, uh, in the forest, in the jungle of Thailand, there was a wide kind of dirt road that I was walking along. I don't know how long it was, wide it was, but I would say it was five or six feet wide. And, um, and it was dusk, so you couldn't see very well and um, various branches and stuff had fallen from the trees or were laying on the ground. And, and there was one branch that went all across the, the, um, the road, and uh, kind of crooked branch. And, and, you know, I was just 
walking around. I think I was had my camera with me. I had my camera with me now. Maybe I was looking to take photographs or something. And uh, so I stepped on that branch. And um, it was a snake. A huge snake. And um, I think I jumped faster than ever have in my life. I jumped up high up in the air and spun around and threw my, my, uh, my camera down the ground towards the snake just to get away, have something between us. So I had misperceived, miscognized what was there. And, um, you know, so it, really wasn't, it wasn't accurate. But, so this is a hugely important category because how we perceive things, how we recognize things, has a lot to do with our reaction and response to things. The fourth grouping, the fourth aggregate, is, um, it's, uh, the technical word is it's the world of, const- of mental constructions, sometimes called mental formations. But in particular, it has to do with the volitional aspects of the mind, the wanting of something. Wanting, not wanting, our intentions. And that's a hugely important part of our life. The mind is constantly wanting something much more than you realize. And um, you, uh, you feel uncomfortable in your chair, you shift. There had to be a movement of wanting in the mind, maybe almost subconscious, in order to do that shifting. You, you hear a sound and you turn your head to look in that direction. And it's a volitional act. You're going to say something, it's a volitional act. I mean, all kinds of... So the whole world that comes along with those volitions, the thoughts, the memories, the planning, all those things are called the mental constructions. So it's a huge category, and it's a category that's very important because the, the, what we want and how, the world that we construct around our wants and what we don't want, the world of thoughts and memories that we construct around it, has a lot to do with how we suffer. And so to get a handle on this is very important. So there's four of the categories. So our physicality, the feelings, the affective feeling of how it feels, the recognition, the perception, the cognition, the recognition of things, and then the mental formations. And the fifth one is consciousness. And consciousness is a hard one to get a sense of what it means in Buddhism. And it's a hard to get a sense of what it means in modern psychology. A little bit I've studied, I get the sense that different researchers on, into the nature of consciousness have different definitions, different understanding of what it is. But uh, it's kind of maybe the basic um, capacity to track all that, to register all that, to kind of take it in and become aware of it. So these five areas are five areas when we get attached to things and cling to things we can only get attached to those five areas there's nowhere else to get attached everything everything is supposed to fit into those five so um, uh, you know our mental world much of it of thoughts and stuff it has to do with the fourth one mental formations but our perceptions we cling to ideas and what's fascinating I think is if you're really, if your mindfulness gets really sharp and clear, you'll discover something that is uh, rather amazing, or maybe humbling, unbelievable. That the only thing that we ever cling to, get attached to, 
are actually ideas, thoughts, concepts related to these five areas. So, of course, if you're on the edge of, of a huge cliff, you might be physically hanging onto the railing. But much of the time, we're clinging, reacting, responding, not to what's going on in the world. We think that's, we think that's what we're doing. But a lot of the response and reaction has to do with everything gets processed through the brain, the mind, and then we have thoughts and ideas and the meaning behind it, what it means, what we hope, what our intentions are, how it fits into our, what we think is important. And, and when we react in response, it has a lot to do with the inner thoughts, the inner world of ideas that, uh, you know, that we have in relationship to it. So these five aggregates, five areas, and the Buddha gave a simile for them. That the physicality, our physical form, our body, is like a foam on top of a running river. The, our feelings, the affective way it feels of how it is for us to take it in, experience it, is um, like um, bubbles, just individual bubbles, soap bubbles. Our perceptions, our recognitions, are like a mirage. Our mental constructions, our ideas and thoughts and intentions, are like a plantain trunk, a banana trunk, trunk of a banana tree. And why it's that is that a banana trunk is hollow inside. And so our the inner world of thoughts and have no core to them. There's no essence to it. There's no solidity there. And consciousness is like a magic show. So those are the analogies back the ancient that the Buddha gave. So the physicality is like foam. Um, you know, our body, our physical experiences shifts and changes all the time. And... Um, Maybe you have to, sometimes you have to get really old to start feeling this body of mind. Boy, it's shifting and changing faster than I want. Yeah, foam is right. And, um, you know, uh, feelings are pretty ephemeral. They come and go, like a bubble that can pop and a new one gets formed. And perceptions are sometimes accurate, sometimes not, but they're kind of like a mirage that we can kind of relate to and react to. And it's kind of uh, amazing to appreciate how much. So as I said, you know, our, our ancestors m- might not have recognized this as a glass. But, um, but I, ha- I see it as a glass. But is the glass really in the object? Is this really a glass? It's a glass because functionally it's a glass. We define it as a glass. But it could be something else. I could... Uh, have it on my table at home and use it as a vase for flowers. And it makes it a vase. And someone might actually walk by and say, oh, it's a nice vase you have. Or it could be, you know, back in the 1950s, it could have been an ashtray. And, you know, and, you know, it's very, very good. You don't have to empty it very often. <laughs> and, or it can, be a pen- it can be a pencil holder. My only pencils and pens are kind of... Funny. It can be many different things, 
And I could easily imagine a glass, maybe not this one so easily, a glass that kind of, because of how it's constructed, it's kind of ambiguous exactly what it is. And depending how it's used, you would see it, you'd recognize it in different ways. If you, go, if you see the same object in different circumstances and see it with different labels, then you start dawning on you that I'm projecting a label on that. I'm not an innocent bystander when I say this is a glass. There's a part of me that's constructing it or seeing it or over- painting glass on it, overlaying on it. So I guess that's kind of like the mirage, the, the painting on it, the, the filter we put on top here, which as we say is accurate enough but this, um, but you know, it's not always accurate. Um, <clears throat> you know, what we do to our fellow human beings and what we do with our concepts, our recognitions, is pretty awful sometimes. And how we see them and to judge them and categories we put them in and we see them through that filter. And they're like going, no, no, no. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, we often have these recognitions which are not very helpful or supportive, some mirage, and you don't really see the real the person there. Plantain, I said, and then the magic show. Everything's kind of arising and passing in this magical way uh, in the field of consciousness. So the instructions in um, this exercise of to develop stronger awareness is first to see your experience in these five categories. Not to, not to have everything just be all a big buzz, all kind of organized together, but to say, oh, now I'm having a physical sensation. I'm cold, I'm hot. Um, now that's a, a feeling, it feels pleasant. I feel the pleasantness of it. Oh, that's a perception, a recognition. Now I'm involved in the inner world of mental formations and volitions and ideas. And now I'm just feels like I'm conscious of it all. There's a sense of consciousness of awareness that kind of holds it all within which it occurs. So the idea is to become aware of that. But what's more important in the tradition is to start seeing how these five arise and pass. They're impermanent in nature. When we don't tease these apart, we often live in the solidity of things when we can kind of take it apart into the component parts, then we start seeing that they actually are shifting and changing all the time. So um, maybe these are uh, useful analogies. That if I'm walking down the street, empty street, maybe it's dark, it's middle of the night, and I see the shape of another person walking towards me, I get pretty interested to back alley someplace. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on that person. I don't know what's going on. I can't tell. It's just a shape. It's dark. Uh, and uh, we're going to meet in the darkest part, where, you know, the, the alley. And, you know, and, and then the shape reminds me of something that scares me. And, and you know, I'm pretty focused on that person and what it means and everything. This person just like, and everything. This person's kind of like a solid, real person. It's like, by preoccupation, fixated on the person. Another time, <clears throat> you're on a very busy, you're, but you're a tourist, a very busy metropolitan city. You're in New York City, just near the entryway maybe of a subway, and 
rush hour, people are walking, you know, streets are packed, people are coming and going, walking up and down. And since you're a tourist, you're kind of like just looking at the sights and, and all these people are passing you by and you start losing any sense of like a focus on any individual. They're passing by so fast. There's so many of them, so many different kinds of people from all over the world. And it's just amazing to see the humanity of people in New York City is passing. And you're kind of like in awe of the, of the diversity and the change and the, you're ready to celebrate, you know, how wonderfully diverse human beings are. And it's just like, you know, be, but you're not focused on one. It's like all the change that makes a difference to you. And a very different perception, very different relationship when you see it all changing and passing and you feel safe and just like all this, right? Or um, <clears throat> you have a gallon of water. Someone gives you a gallon of water. Oh, you're thirsty, you haven't drunk for a few days. <sighs> you can't believe your good luck and you're really focused on that water. This is really great. Or you have another purpose for the water. You know, oh, I'm so glad I have a squat gallon now I can water my garden or something water and um, so you focus on the water this someone up river from you pours that gallon of water into the river and you're like Siddhartha sitting on the river bank watching the water go by and you have a whole different relationship just watching water flow by flow by flow by it's it's uh, it's kind of very relaxing it's pleasant you see kind of as a metaphor for the flowing of life and you just kind of the whole different relationship. You're not fixated on the gallon and protecting the gallon from other people who are going to take it from you. Whatever. It just you see it, the water flowing, flowing. Very different relationship with it. So if we can see how the five aggregates are constantly flowing, constantly shifting and changing, we'll have a very different relationship to it, to them, than if we kind of just are fixated on them. Oh, this is it. So if I'm fixated on my body, that um, think, thinking about my body, my body's too much this, too big, too small, too this and that, and my body concerns. It's very much focused on the body through our image of the body, how we identify with our image and everything. And some people suffer a tremendous amount because of their body image. But if you close your eyes and feel your body, you feel, you see, your body's shifting and changing. The feeling, the experience of it, the physicality is constantly shifting and changing. And you have a very different relationship to your body than if you see it through an image. Feelings. If you have, if, you know, I, you, I can be fixated on a particular feeling. I feel, I feel, you know, a certain kind of pain. Sometimes I have pain in my foot. And, you know, I can, oh, my pain in my foot is so important. I'll end up being a cripple. I won't be able to walk anymore. And it's all fixated on that pain. But if I really pay attention to the pain carefully, I, I still need to maybe be concerned about what's happening to my foot. But... I see actually the pain comes and goes. It's actually impermanent, it changes and shifts. And then there's a loud sound outside and for a few moments I don't even know I have a foot because of the sound and then um, something happens that's really important. And I guess they had the last episode of Downtown Abbey, is that right? Uh, you know, and so you didn't notice your foot. <laughs> and so, but, but these things are shifting and changing. Our attention, our awareness of it shifts and changes. And it's like bubbles that pop. And our relationship to it becomes very different than when we're fixated on it. Our mental formations, we have ideas about ourselves. We have ideas, I am this kind of person. I am a, um, 
Or someone gave me an example, so I'll use her example. Um, um, feeling a little bit kind of out of harmony with the world, so wanting to have something yummy. Searching for something yummy and coming across an ice cream store. Going and getting a quadruple decker scoops of ice cream, because you know, and eating it all, and then feeling miserable. And then, how could I have been so stupid? I am a stupid person. Oh, thank you. And, um, and so there's an idea, a label, a, a mental formation, a construct of the mind, that we put this label and I'm this kind of person. As opposed to simply say, say, oh, I'm a person who made a poor choice and now I have to live with the consequences for a while. Kind of, that's what's that simple. And so, so and when we can get stuck in this label that we have for ourselves and suffer for a long time. But if we can watch carefully how the inner mental landscape functions, we see that it's constant stream and flow of shift and change of, of ideas and perceptions and coming and going. And so the question, so, you know, are you, you know, are you always holding the idea that you're, I'm a stupid person, I'm always holding that idea? No. You know, Downtown Abbey goes on a TV and I don't think about myself for an hour. I don't know how, I never, I don't watch it, so I don't know. And, um, and, um, and so, you know, so things are constantly interrupting, reality is constantly interrupting our, fantasies and are what we think we're, you know. And so it's, we see it's shifting and changing. And if you see it's shifting and changing ideas, they're not solid, these ideas. They're constantly fleeting and moving and becoming different ones and returning. And it's only because we kind of project continuity onto this, we think that we're continuously the same thing. Then our relationship starts shifting. <clears throat> and the relationship that we're interested in Buddhism that wants to shift is how we cling to it, how we grasp or resist. And when we see the things, these things in their elemental level at the foundational building block level of experience, before we get live in abstractions, are constantly shifting and changing, then we begin to relax, soften around it, open up, and don't cling so much. And as we do that, awareness becomes, stands out and, high, and stronger and stronger. Awareness gets lost when we're attached. Awareness gets covered over or becomes invisible to us when we're preoccupied. But if we're not caught in the field of these five aggregates, then awareness becomes clearer and clearer. The stronger awareness becomes, the more we can see the shifting, changing nature of the river going by, flowing by. And to, to rest in the flowing, changing river of our experience is one of the, in, one of the, more, one of the more fulfilling, satisfying places of uh, becoming free, of becoming at peace, of resting. So in this five aggregates, to see them, it's not just to see them, but to see how they arise and see how they pass. And that's the exercise, to cultivate strong awareness. Generally, it's something that people um, experience uh, kind of keenly 
on uh, meditation retreats because this is a kind of takes a little higher level of of attention, focus, concentration to hold the attention, to see this kind of the five aggregates, the stream of them flowing and moving. Um, but it does require that we shift our priorities from focusing on the concepts and ideas and stories that we think are important to the process in which all this is being experienced. With our physical experience, the feeling, the perceptions, the mental formations, and the consciousness. So, I'll say again what I said before. This is one of the most common and central teachings that the Buddha gave. It can seem kind of foreign, difficult to understand, difficult to understand how relevant it is. But um, um, uh, it took me many years to really understand it. I really got into it once I started, started, started to... Uh, practice it and practice this vipassana. And then I was um, sidetracked by my Zen practice. And this is a little aside, footnote to this talk. In Zen, uh, they, they do a, almost every morning they do a chant, uh, part of the liturgy called the Heart Sutra. And part of the Heart Sutra says that these five aggregates are empty. Uh, form is empty, feelings are empty, perceptions are empty, mental formations are empty, consciousness is empty. Um, so I chanted that for years when I was a Zen student. And, um, and that no one, you know, initially no one told me what they were. I just dutifully chanted it. But I came to the conclusion that because they were empty, I didn't have to know what they were. <laughs> so I just ignored their whole teachings. And then when I was introduced to this practice we do here, Vipassana, um, here they didn't say, you know, just offhand, they're empty. Um, they say they're like foam, like a bubble, like a mirage, <laughs> like a, you know, banana trunk in the magic show. A little bit more poetic than just saying empty. So we have uh, six minutes and... Um, what can I clarify that would make this come alive more for you? Anything you'd like to ask? Yes, please. Um, you've used the words you know, for the for the fifth aggregate of consciousness, and you've also used the word awareness. Could you talk about if those are the same thing or different things? And thank probably you. hard to do in two minutes. Yeah, thank, no, thank you for that, <clears throat> for asking that. I think it's a pretty obvious question. And um, um, I don't, you know, I don't know what they are. Really. I, I can't put my finger and tell you what consciousness is or what awareness is. However, functionally, as I live my life, I have a general sense that what, you know, what I'm pointing, what I, what I'm, what I, when I use the word awareness, I have a general sense of what it means. And consciousness, I have a general sense of what it means, an operational f- understanding of it. And I asked here once, Monday night some years ago, 
uh, the group here, um, how uh, do you know that you're aware? And it was very interesting for me to hear all the answers that people gave because of how different people responded to that question. And that became where, you know, I think people, when when I use the word awareness, different people have different reference points for it. They mean different things. And generally it's in the ballpark well enough that if I say, you know, be aware, they do something that's useful. But I don't believe anymore that necessarily they do exactly what I think I'm doing when I'm aware. Um, So, you know, there's an operational kind of general idea that we kind of in the ballpark. Maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not helpful to define it exactly. Is that? um, I know that's very unsatisfying. I mean, I guess at the very least, what I was looking for is that these aren't the same thing, right? May I mean, or at least are like are they two different words in the original scriptures? That sort of thing. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both well, fuzzy, they're well, both the fuzzy is, there yeah, too. Well, yeah, there's a, what words we work? I tend to use the word awareness and mindfulness as synonyms. I tend not to use the word consciousness very much. Um, it's not a word that I find so relevant, except sometimes in deep states of meditation. And then, uh, then, it's, then I have a clearer sense that oh, this is con- the consciousness is operating here now. But in, in, in outside of very deep states of meditation, then I'm content with using the word awareness. And I think of awareness as basically, I, I use it almost syn- synonymously with mindfulness. But that depends on what you mean by mindfulness. And this, you know, then it gets semantic, all these definitions. So, so it gets very complicated very quickly if you start asking these kinds of questions. And um, hopefully uh, it's good enough to get us all on the same page and, and or, or get people get a sense enough. It does, I don't think we have to have exact definitions of some of these things. We have to be close enough to engage in, a, in, uh, in practicing attention, using our attention, engaging, and clarifying what's here for ourselves. And as we get deeper and deeper into it, it'll become more obvious for us personally what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, uh, rather than kind of fitting into what someone says, this is exactly what it is. So, so uh, anyway, that's kind of how, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time, uh, 40 years. I have a PhD in Buddhist studies. So, I've, I, you know, I've put my time in to try to understand these things. So hopefully the fact that I say I don't know what consciousness is or, or awareness is, hopefully I'm not just going to be dismissed as being some, you know, ignoramus. Um, you know, that there's uh, something, 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 something significant about the fact that I would say I don't know about what we're... The, something, it says something about what we're trying to talk about, that it's kind of slippery. I hope you come back. <laughs> so one more, and then we'll stop. Maybe Phil. So I'm curious how you hold that not knowing. Is it is it just fine to not know? Is it something that you dig down and you're trying to find out, or just kind of curious and let that? Slipperiness. 
be something to explore? What, how do you, what's your relationship with that? Oh, I think the, the first and the third. Um, that uh, I'm fine with not knowing, and I'm also still curious. I'm curious, can we refine it? Can we understand it better? Can we, you know, what can we understand? Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not concerned about digging down. And, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious. So I'm, fi- I'm fine not knowing, and I'm, I still would like to know. Yeah. Know better. I'd like to know better why I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating topic. What is it about these things, consciousness and awareness, that, that defies really clear understanding? I'd like to know that. So, is that? Yeah. Great. So thank you all very much.